We would like to welcome you on this uh, lovely November evening, November 21st, to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show, and, of course, we have a wide variety of music to play for you this evening. But our jazz feature is what we always start the program with in this evening. A very special jazz feature because Charles Mingus was a very special human being. An amazing musician, sometimes very humorous, friendly, open, funny, and sometimes angry, volatile, and totally unpredictable. Charles Mingus was certainly a genius, and he distinguished himself as a fine pianist and, of course, an incredible bassist and an amazing and important composer. Mingus did things that other musicians didn't in terms of uh, music, He didn't toe the line. He marched to his own drummer and, uh, of course, created a a path, a musical path for himself that was uh, unparalleled in, in jazz music. This evening is an album which originally came out on the... It was uh, recorded um, in May of 1960 um, over two recording sessions two days, and it was done for Mercury Records, which was, of course, a big label, a major label. Mingus had already recorded for Columbia, and um, those records were about to be, or one of them was about to be released, and that's the very famous Mingus Aum album, which became his best-selling recording and best-distributed recording. It's important that labels are able to get their stuff out there. And in Columbia, of course, and uh, labels like Mercury and the major labels, they had all kinds of connections and were able to get their records out quickly and onto the shelves, And um, whereas some of the smaller labels weren't able to do that. Um, anyway, Mingus was at the top of his game in 1960. Um, he was really the toast of the town in, in New York City. Um, His appearances uh, in clubs and at concerts uh, created uh, long lineups. People of all walks of life were listening to the music of Mingus. He attracted uh, college professors, doctors, lawyers, politicians, and, of course, young university students flocked to his concerts and, of course, hardcore jazz fans as well and fans strictly of the music of Charles Mingus. Um, his popularity was really at his at um, a peak at this time. And he was offered this date on Mercury Records, and the person that produced the date was the dean of jazz critics, Leonard Feather. And so um, just to backtrack a, a, a bit, Mingus um, was ensconced in a steady gig in New York at a place in Greenwich Village called the Show Place. And 
Mingus was the star of the show place with his working band. And his basic working band was a small group, and of course he called it the Jazz Workshop, and it featured trumpeter Ted Curson, um, and of course virtuoso multi-instrumentalist Eric Dolphy, uh, tenor saxophonists Booker Irvin or Youssef Latif, both of them were kind of alternated, uh, and a whole variety of piano players. Um, they, piano players were usually pretty busy guys and because uh, they were playing cocktail lounges and backing singers and so on and so forth. So um, the, the piano chair in Mingus's Jazz Workshop was a revolving door. But such people as Bill Evans, um, Winton Kelly, uh, Jackie Byard, um, Cy Johnson, Paul Blay, and Roland Hanna were among the piano players um, that worked with Mingus. And occasionally Mingus decided to play piano himself on a gig, and he would bring in a bass player to do the bass parts. And it would either be um, Herman Wright or a young Henry Grimes. And, of course, the perennial drummer, Mingus's best friend and alter, musical alter ego, drummer Danny Richmond, was always there. So it was a big year, 1960, for Charles Mingus, this uh, particular steady gig. And um, the steadiest piano player he had was Roland Hanna. So, and uh, of course, a great piano player from Detroit, classically trained. Um, and uh, temperamental, too, just like Mingus. <laughs> they got along quite well. And uh, this gig, of course, as I said, attracted all kinds of people from all walks of life. And so Mingus was offered this date with Mercury Records, and ostensibly it was supposed to be with his working band uh, that he was playing with at the, uh, at the show place. But when Mingus saw what the band and himself was going to be paid, he realized, just a minute here, this is a huge budget here. So he approached Leonard Feather and he said, you know, I've got some compositions that I would like to have played and um, upgraded, and I'm going to need to hire more people. And Leonard Feather said, well, I'll have to go to the powers that be and tell them that, uh, to increase the budget because you want to, it's going to cost money. And so Mingus said, whatever it takes, uh, that, this is what I want to do uh, for this record date. So Leonard Feather went to the executive and and so on and so forth. This happened two or three times, and of course it was getting kind of crazy because Mingus kept adding more and more people. He said, no, no, I need, I need two more trombones. I need, I need two more saxophone players. Um, I've got to add a tuba here, um, uh, a trombone player. No, I need three more trumpet players. <laughs> it went on like this, and of course um, the first recording session, of which we're going to hear on the jazz feature, um, was a 24-piece band. So that's what, it, that's what this small <laughs> group um, uh, increased to because of uh, Mingus's persistence. But he wanted these compositions played, and, and uh, these were older works that had never been heard before, and uh, he, he, he wanted to, um, 
he wanted to record them uh, in optimum circumstances. So the first three pieces we're going to hear is by are by this this incredible 24-piece band, which is, includes so many uh, jazz stars. And we're going to hear three, three of these compositions, one of which w- is an update on the very first composition that Mingus ever recorded back in 1947 with Lionel Hampton's band. The, and uh, the second tune is a uh, brand-new tune, which features uh, Eric Dolphy, and the third tune is almost a symphony that he wrote when he was 19, when he was a very young man, and he upgraded um, this, this piece of music uh, for this large orchestra. The people involved here, here's the personnel. On trumpets, Marcus Belgrave, Hobart Dodson, Clark Terry, Ted Curzon, and Richard Williams. On trombones, Slide Hampton, Charles Greenlee, Eddie Burt, Jimmy Nepper. On reeds, um, alto and tenor saxophones and flutes and all that kind of stuff, Eric Dolphy, John Laporta, Bill Barron, Joe Farrell, Yusef Latif, Danny Bank, um, Booker Irvin, and um, <laughs> uh, on piano, um, there's actually two piano players that alternate, Roland Hanna and Paul Blay, and Charles Mingus, of course, on bass, Danny Richmond on drums, and uh, some um, auxiliary percussions uh, played by George Scott and Styx Evans. So an interesting lineup of, uh, of, of people. So we're going to hear the, the first session, which was recorded uh, with the very large group, which was recorded May 24th, 1960. Um, oh, I forgot to mention Charles McCracken on cello, who stars on one of the tunes. Anyway, all of these people uh, are involved um, in the, uh, these three pieces of music. The first piece, as I said, is an upgrade of the first composition that Mingus ever recorded uh, commercially, uh, and he did that piece originally with Lionel Hampton's band, and um, he retitles it slightly, and it's an updated version of a tune called Mingus Fingus Number Two. The second tune is a very beautiful kind of Ellingtonish uh, kind of a piece. It's a mood piece uh, dedicated, I think, to uh, Billie Holiday, and it's called Bemoanable Lady. Because Billie Holiday had just passed away, and I think Mingus was thinking of her when he wrote this piece. And it features uh, the alto saxophone of Eric Dolphy in a very beautiful uh, ballad. And the third piece is an incredible uh, symphonic kind of a piece uh, that takes you all through all sorts of different moods and stuff, and it's called Half-Mast Inhibition. And Mingus, the genesis of this um, piece, the Half-Mast Inhibition piece, uh, was written when Mingus was only 19. So it's a, a portrait of his genius. Then the second part of this album we'll get into after we hear the first three pieces. So here then is the orchestra of Charles Mingus from this uh, date to open our jazz feature this evening. And we begin with Mingus Fingus, number two. Thank you. 
Those were the three pieces of music recorded on the first recording session with this uh, incredible 24-piece band orchestra that uh, Mingus put together. And we began with um, his first composition, which was uh, ever released on a commercial album. Uh, The original title was Mingus Fingers, and it was um, recorded with Lionel Hampton's band when Mingus was a a member of that uh, stellar organization back in the mid-40s. And this is an updated version that we heard, and uh, Mingus retitled it and kind of changed a few things around, but it it kept the essence of the original piece, and he called it Mingus Fingers Number 2. That was uh, his new title. And that featured uh, some great tenor saxophone work on there by Youssef Latif. The second piece of music featured the alto saxophone of Eric Dolphy, and it was very much um, Ellington-flavored. Of course, Ellington was one of Mingus's um, biggest influences in music. And um, he titled the piece, and I believe it was dedicated to Billie Holiday. Um, who had uh, passed away fairly recently um, before this uh, date uh, happened. And uh, Mingus called the piece Bemonable Lady because Billie Holiday's nickname was Lady Day. And the third piece was very uh, something of symphonic proportions, um, well, like a symphonic suite. And that was written when Mingus was only 19. And uh, this was an... He reorchestrated it and expanded it for this performance, and it was called uh, Half-Mast Inhibition. And that was the third piece that we heard. We move now to the second day of recording, May 25th, 1960, and uh, rather than this huge orchestra, this is uh, an expanded version of his um, working band. And it includes all the regular members of his working band with some extra people thrown in. So we have Ted Kirsten on trumpet, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, and we have um, on tenor saxophones, we have Joe Farrell, Booker Irvin, and Yusef Latif. And on alto saxophones and, and flute and all of the instruments that he plays, Eric Dolphy. Uh, there are two piano players that alternate here, Roland Hanna, and Paul Blay. Megas, of course, is on bass, and Danny Richmond on drums. And interestingly enough, two of these pieces feature the vocal stylings of a young lady by the name of Lorraine Cousins. And I don't know too much about her, but she um, handles the uh, extremely difficult vocal parts of uh, two Mingus compositions. Um, with ease and uh, great intonation. And uh, these are not easy pieces to sing, of course. And uh, Mingus wrote the words for them, too. So we'll hear um, Mingus's uh, lyrics as well as his melodies on two pieces. So we begin with uh, the great Billy Strayhorn tune that became Duke Ellington's theme song, We're going to hear Take the A-Train and a whole bunch of solos in that tune. Then we're going to follow with one that features Mingus and Yusef Latif. And this is a great piece of music. This is Mingus's uh, protest piece. 
because the civil rights movement was uh, very big at this at uh, this time, and Mingus was certainly um, involved emotionally in that. And he wrote this piece for the uh, civil rights folks and called it Prayer for Passive Resistance. And we hear Yusef Latif do some real preaching on uh, tenor saxophone. Then we move to the first of the vocal pieces. And um, this is a, an early piece of music that Mingus wrote back in the 40s. And um, he, he called it Eclipse. And I think you'll see the point of this when you hear the lyrics. The second piece of music is another one that he wrote when he was uh, a resident of Los Angeles because Mingus grew up in L.A. And, um, of course, he was active in music in his early days. And he wrote this tune in the 40s. Uh, it had, came out with different titles, but uh, here it's called Weird Nightmare. And uh, this is another vocal by Lorraine Cousins. And the final tune is uh, another Duke Ellington piece of music. And it's called Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me. And that ends the set. So we begin with Charles Mingus and his jazz workshop and take the A train. Thank you. 
The music of Charles Mingus from an album originally called Pre-Bird and um, released later on or re-released later on, and it was called Mingus Revisited, but it was recorded for Mercury Records, and uh, which was, of course, uh, a major label. And uh, as I mentioned before, Mingus was able to uh, bring in uh, more and more people, especially on the first session. This was the uh, second day of recording, and it was basically Mingus's uh, small working band that uh, he had. Uh, his, his regular working band was some added people and uh, some alumni, and we heard a whole bunch of tunes. The, uh, the people involved here, Ted Curson on trumpet, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, and we heard a lot from the three saxophonists, the three tenor saxophonists, Joe Farrell, Booker Irvin, and Youssef Latif, and uh, Eric Dolphy was uh, there as well, playing alto saxophone, and uh, two pianos, uh, Roland Hanna and Paul Blay, and Charles Mingus, of course, on bass, Danny Richmond on drums, and the vocals uh, on those two um, compositions by Mingus were by Lorraine Cousins. The first piece of music, of course, was easily recognizable, and, and that was Mingus's Mingus's rendition of Billy Strayhorn's "Take the A Train." Of course, that was Duke Ellington's theme song, and uh, we heard some great uh, Booker Irvin uh, on that piece of music. Then uh, we heard the "Prayer for Passive Resistance," which featured, of course, the amazing tenor saxophone work of Youssef Latif, and uh, this was Mingus's. Um, tip of his hat to the uh, civil rights movement, Prayer for Passive Resistance. Then the first of the two vocals, the, the very haunting uh, Eclipse, was the first piece of music. And the second piece of music um, was entitled Weird Nightmare. And both of those, of course, the uh, vocal stylings of Lorraine Cousins, who handled those very difficult lyrics with uh, uh, expertise. And on Weird Nightmare, we heard some uh, very effective tenor saxophone work by Youssef Latif. And then the final tune uh, was an Ellington staple, Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me. And it featured uh, all three tenor saxophonists uh, all, all playing. Uh, 
Joe Farrell, Youssef Latif, and Booker Irvin. And uh, they all had a go at, uh, at that tune. So that was the album. And as I mentioned before, the original title was Pre-Bird and uh, later re-released as Mingus Revisited. Recorded, uh, that second part was recorded on May the 25th, 1960 in Mercury Recording Studios in New York City. And this has been our jazz feature, but we're not, and I say this, capital N-O-T. We're not finished with Charles Mingus yet. We've got some very special Mingus music coming up featuring two fairly extended compositions. And I'll tell you a little more about that after we take a brief break and um, a few announcements, and we'll be back with some more music by Charles Mingus. This is The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we shall return. Are you interested in indigenous issues? Are you down with decolonization? Do you have something to say? Or have a topic to share? We have just the thing. Join UBC's first ever Indigenous Radio Collective. We're a team of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. I'm Niska from my mother. From the Taltan Territory. I'm a settler from Washington State. I belong to the Simshan Nation. We broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded land of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Whatever you want to talk about, we're into it. Everyone is welcome, no experience necessary. Unceded Airwaves airs every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. And we meet every Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. to plan our upcoming shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Unceded Airwaves. We want to hear your story. Become a CITR member and make some new friends. Members get discounts on Commercial Drive at Audio Pile, Bomber Brewing, Bone Rattle Music, High Life Records, Jean Queen Clothing, Mintage Clothing, Pandora's Box Rehearsal Studios, People's Co-op Bookstore, and Storm Crow Tavern. What would we do without our friends? month we're in, and we all know what kind of weather we're getting. And we're going to continue to get that weather, although I do hear a rumor, yes, it's a rumor, but uh, that the weather next week is going to get quite a bit cooler, but the clouds are going to disappear. So that's the the price we pay this time of year. When, When the clouds disappear, the weather gets cooler, but the sun will be shining. It did come out for a little bit today, which was really nice relief because uh, I think we're beginning to forget what the sun looks like or feels like. Anyway, 
Not much on the forecast this week uh, that's going to change, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, periods of rain are beginning are going to begin later on this evening. It's going to get windy as well with lows um, around 8. Tomorrow, all day, rain and windy. Uh, Wednesday, uh, showers, um, temperatures between 8 and 9, not, not much variation. Thursday is going to be more rain. Uh, Friday is going to be showers, so rain, showers, rain, sh- you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Saturday is going to be rain. And then Sunday, a little bit easing off. Maybe this is going to be the transition. A little cooler with lows uh, down to 4. And uh, Sunday is just going to be cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower and um, a high of 8. So, um, as I said, the rumor is next week we may see some sun, but uh, some cooler weather. Back to the music of Charles Mingus. Now, Mingus, um, this was recorded. This was a very special concert. Um, Mingus had, had, um, was deceased by this time. And some uh, Mingus wasn't a particularly well-organized person in terms of uh, keeping his music files and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Mingus uh, was, well, Mingus was Mingus, right? And uh, there was some very important music that um, Andrew Homsey, who was a uh, music teacher at McGill University in Montreal, uh, and a Mingus uh, an absolutely Mingus devotee, and, and uh, Andrew, of course, is, an, is a terrific musician himself. And he was given carte blanche by Mingus's widow, Susan, to um, look through uh, Mingus's uh, papers, archives, all kinds of stuff, and he discovered some incredible pieces of music, and, and some of it was written on uh, yellowed score sheets, and it was disorganized. Um, snippets here and there, sometimes just a, a, a half a piece of paper with written music on it and Mingus's hand and so on and so forth. But he, what he realized in this amazing discovery was Mingus had a legendary concert in 1962 at Town Hall, and, and it was actually a bit of a disaster because um, they had moved the date up and, and Mingus was um, unprepared for, for this, and he, he kind of rushed it, and the concert was, was very PC and, and not, uh, not a complete presentation, not anything that he would have wanted, and there was uh, quite a bit of noise made about it, and it turned out to be a bit of embarrassment for Charles Mingus, although a lot of it wasn't his fault. Um, but um, anyway, that's another story. But he had written quite a bit of music for this, uh, for this concert and, and, and continued to write even after. And uh, a lot of this music was discovered uh, by Andrew Homsey, and we, we really owe him a lot of, a lot of credit for uh, uh, pulling this stuff uh, out of Mingus's archives. And so the music here is played by a huge orchestra. I'm not even going to begin with, uh, by telling you all the people, because we, we'd sit here for half an hour and I'd just rattle off names. But there's some very famous people in, in this orchestra. Wynton Marcellus, um, Randy Brecker, the trumpeter. I'll just mention a few names. My good friend John Handy, um, Bobby Watson, um, tenor saxophonist George Adams, baritone saxophonist Gary Smolian is another good friend of mine. Um, Don Butterfield, drummer Victor Lewis, 
Uh, Roland Hanna, Sir Roland Hanna, uh, um, plays some piano. Um, some trombone players, Britt Woodman and Eddie Burt, who, who were both Mingus alumni, um, et cetera, et cetera. But this huge orchestra is going to perform uh, two compositions that were discovered and put together by uh, Andrew Homsey, and these were written by Charles Mingus. The first piece of music is strictly instrumental. There's no, um, well, both of the pieces are strictly instrumental, but what I mean to say is that there are no solos in the first piece. It's an orchestral piece, and it's got a kind of a weird surrealistic title. Um, it may have been, who knows, uh, what Mingus was thinking when he wrote this um, kind of scary piece of music. And it's called The Children's Hour of Dream. That's Mingus's title. A very interesting and surrealistic piece of music, because Mingus definitely was a surrealist. The second piece of music is called Ballad. In other words, I am three. And this goes back, this is... Mingus always felt he was three people because he was multiracial in his ancestry. Um, as he said in his biography, I am Charles Mingus. I'm a half black man. I'm a yellow man. I'm half yellow. I'm not even yellow, not even white enough to pass for nothing but black, but too light to be called white. And I claim that I am a Negro. <laughs> so, Charles Mingus is a musician, that's me, a mongrel musician who plays beautiful, who plays ugly, who plays lovely, who plays masculine, who plays feminine, who plays music, who plays all sounds, loud, soft, unheard sounds, sound, sound, sounds, solid sounds, sound, sounds. A musician must and love to play with sound. This is a quote from Charles Mingus. He felt himself to be three distinct people because of his multiracial background. And so this is what this second this is what that means in uh, uh, when he says I am three, so that's the second tune and that features some incredible solos by Randy Brecker first of all on trumpet, um, some wonderful work by alto saxophonist um, Bobby Watson, and some incredible uh, work by Winton Marcellus uh, on the second piece of music. So we're going to hear these two. Incredible compositions by Charles Mingus. And the first one, as I said, is called The Children's Hour of Dream. And the second piece is called Ballad. In other words, I am three. So sit back and enjoy this music. More composition by Charles Mingus.
We heard two pieces from a double album that was issued uh, years ago, played by a large orchestra playing the music of Charles Mingus and culled together from various, uh, as I said, put together by researcher Andrew Homsey, who, who coordinated the music and um, pieced together all kinds of uh, uh, yellowed sheet music that Mingus had uh, had written while he was alive and um, had intended to um, present at this uh, legendary town hall concert, and he never did get around to it. And so this is why this um, music is very important, and it emphasized, of course, the composing talents of Charles Mingus. The orchestra, the huge orchestra, was conducted by Gunter Schuller, and um, as I said, uh, Andrew Homsey, the um, a musical professor from Montreal, um, from McGill University, uh, was a huge um, Mingus connoisseur and was able to coordinate all of this music, and they were put it together in this um, album, which was uh, issued on Columbia Records and uh, called Epitaph, Charles Mingus. The two pieces of music that I chose this evening to play, the first one was... Uh, um, an orchestral piece with no solos. Um, it just featured this large orchestra, and it was a rather um, interesting titled composition, but it was called The Children's Hour of Dream. And, of course, Mingus being a surrealist, who knows whatever that meant, because uh, it certainly didn't sound like children's music or music for children. Uh, the second piece of music was called Ballad. In other words, I am three. And, of course, I mentioned, uh, I, I told you how Mingus felt. He felt he was three people because he was multiracial and um, uh, so on and so forth. So that brought in all kinds of different thought processes um, by Mingus about where he felt in society. And, of course, a very, very complex and interesting man and definitely a, a genius. Charles Mingus. Um, on the second piece of music, we heard three great solos. The first trumpet solo was by Randy Brecker. The, the wonderful alto saxophone solo, very passionate, was by Bobby Watson. And the third trumpet solo was by none other than Wynton Marcellus. And, of course, the orchestra consisted of all kinds of uh, incredible people. And uh, it's really it's not necessary to tell you uh, who's in, in the orchestra, but they're all very, very prominent jazz musicians. Anyway, the bit of an extended feature this evening from uh, the album uh, Pre-Bird, which was our jazz feature album. And I, I thought, well, to back that up, we'd um, feature... Uh, Two more compositions by Charles Mingus are, that are not exactly uh, common listening. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, excursion into the musical mind of, uh, of Charles Mingus. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course we're on 101.9 on your radio dial, and uh, if you're listening on your computer, it's www.citr.ca, and uh, we're going to 
move to some different music now. We're going to take you to um, my good friend, Phil Dwyer. And he put together, in 2002, in Toronto, he managed to talk to the powers that be at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, the good old CBC, as they say, or some people say the Canadian Broadcorp in castration. Um, Anyway, the CBC... Uh, he convinced them um, that he had an idea in mind of something that he wanted to do, and he wanted to present a saxophone summit of all the great Canadian saxophone players, or at least a lot of them, anyway. And he wanted to assemble them. He had some compositions written out, some arrangements, and um, he convinced the powers that be that this would be a good thing, and he would present the Saks Summit, um, as a concert. And so it was recorded, and it was performed at the um, Glenn Gould Studio in in Toronto, which, of course, is uh, an acoustically wonderful place. And Phil Dwyer was able to bring this. Phil Dwyer is originally from Vancouver Island. He's from uh, uh, the Parksville area, Qualicum Beach, and um, Phil, of course, is one of the major musicians in, in Canada. He's a member of the Order of Canada and has received all kinds of accolades. And he's currently um, completing his law degree at Dalhousie University. And uh, who knows? We might see Phil Dwyer in politics. Um, he's a, a man of many shapes and uh, um, a tremendous intellect and, of course, one of the great, great musicians of, uh, of this country. Anyway, Phil was able to assemble this uh, stellar crew of saxophone players. We're going to hear a bunch of this music from this album, Sax Summit. And uh, Phil did all the arranging of the music. And the people involved here, they're all, uh, these were all Phil's picks, and uh, he felt that they were the cream of the crop of uh, Canadian saxophone players. We begin with Seamus Blake, who currently resides in New York. Seamus was raised right here in Vancouver, although he was born in England, and his his, his parents still live here. And Seamus, of course, has been a resident of New York for many years, one of the first call um, tenor saxophone players. He's done extremely well. My good friend P.J. Perry plays alto saxophone on here. P.J. has just received the Order of Canada, and he deserves it. P.J. spent a lot of time here in Vancouver. His family was from uh, Vancouver originally. And um, P.J. currently lives in, in, Winter, in um, Edmonton. And, of course, he is uh, internationally known as one of the finest saxophone players in North America, P.J. Perry. And certainly at his age, all these accolades have, have uh, come. He just recently, he was on the golf course, as a matter of fact, with his brother, uh, and uh, he got a phone call on his cell phone, and it was um, <laughs> the government of Canada. And he, <laughs> he thought, well, gee, am I in trouble or something? Anyway, they phoned him to tell him that he was going to be the recipient of the Order of Canada. And, of course, he's totally shocked by this and, and just in awe. And he's, uh, he's now got the medal, and he's very proud of that. P.J. Perry is on here, and my good friend Campbell Riga is also on here. Campbell's uh, was 
uh, born um, in the interior of British Columbia and, and spent uh, and spent many, many years here in Vancouver, and everybody knows Campbell Riga. So he's on here as well. Perry White is another saxophone player playing baritone saxophone. He was uh, raised in Vancouver. He's been a Toronto resident now since 1982. Mike Murley plays tenor and soprano saxophone. Mike, of course, is from the Maritimes, and, of course, he's been a resident of Toronto for many years. And uh, Quebecois, a wonderful saxophone player, Yannick Roux. And uh, Yannick, of course, was raised in the uh, eastern townships uh, of Quebec and, uh, of course, is one of the major tenor saxophonists. The rhythm section, cream of the crop of uh, Canadian rhythm section, Mark Eisenman on piano, Neil Swainson on bass. Neil was uh, originally from Victoria. And Terry Clark, of course, was born and raised here in Vancouver, went to Lord Bing High School and uh, went on to great fame and has played with everybody. So that's the band, and we're going to hear a bunch of music by this um, saxophone summit, all put together by Phil Dwyer. Once again, Seamus Blake on tenor saxophone, Mike Murley on tenor and soprano saxophone, Yannick Ryu on tenor saxophone, on altos, P.J. Perry and Campbell Riga, on baritone saxophone, Perry White, Mark Eisenman on piano, Neil Swenson on bass, and Terry Clark on drums. We're going to begin with a Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt uh, composition, a very famous piece of music. And Phil wrote all the background riffs and everything else. It's uh, absolutely great what he did with this music. And we're going to hear the blues up and down, and that features the four tenor saxophonists, Seamus, Phil, Yannick, and Mike. And uh, that's the first piece of music. Second piece of music we're going to hear is uh, Phil's arrangement of a standard tune called Just You, Just Me, and that features Mike Murley um, on tenor, P.J. Perry, and Perry White on baritone saxophone. And the final tune we're going to hear is a great jam session favorite written by Charlie Parker called Billy's Bounce, and it features all of the saxophones. Um playing all together and having a lot of fun and and uh, uh, it's up to you to tell them apart on here but they're all they all solo on this piece um, the final piece called Billy's Bounce so here we go with Phil Dwyer and the saxophone summit and we begin with blues up and down Thank you. 
Yeah, recorded January 25th, 2002, the Glenn Gould Studios in Toronto, and released on uh, CBC Records. That, of course, was Phil Dwyer, who did all the arrangements and, uh, of course, played tenor and soprano saxophone. And um, Phil put together all of these incredible players and called it the Sax Summit. And we heard um, all of these folks together with a wonderful rhythm section comprising of Mark Eisenman on piano, Neil Swainson on bass, and Terry Clark on drums. And, of course, all the saxophone players. We opened with the Gene Ammons uh, Sonny Stitt uh, standard called Blues Up and Down. And that featured uh, the four tenor saxophonists, Seamus Blake, Phil Dwyer, Yannick Ryu, and Mike Murley. And then we moved to uh, a second tune um, after a brief pause. I switched uh, CD players, and uh, so that, that was uh, because of that uh, pause. And then we went into Just You, Just Me, a standard tune arranged by uh, Phil Dwyer, and that featured Mike Murley, P.J. Perry on alto saxophone, and Perry White on baritone saxophone. Then we heard them all on the final tune, which was uh, Dwyer's arrangement of the Charlie Parker staple, Billy's Bounce. And we heard P.J. on alto saxophone, Campbell Riga on alto, Seamus Blake on tenor, Perry White on baritone, Phil Dwyer on soprano, uh, and Mike Murley on tenor, and Yannick Rue on tenor saxophone. All of these great players all put together um, by Phil Dwyer, the musical director. Sax Summit. Uh, proving once again that uh, Canadians are no slouch at playing this great American art form. And um, these incredible musicians, uh, so many of them are well-known here in Vancouver. So many of them were raised in Vancouver and are around the scene. People like Campbell Riga, um, Seamus Blake comes uh, back to his hometown here in Vancouver very often. P.J. Perry as well and um, occasionally Perry White, who was raised in Vancouver, and, um, oh, you know, all of these other folks. The only one that um, people know less uh, from is the, the fantastic Quebecois tenor saxophonist Yannick Roux. And, of course, Mike Murley, uh, originally from the Maritimes and a resident of Toronto for many years, has been out here in Vancouver many times, as is uh, the rhythm section, Mark Eisenman, Neil Swainson, and Terry Clark. So there you go. All of these should be very familiar names and great, uh, great players. All of them. All right. Sachs Summit. Just to remind you, of course, that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name's Gavin Walker. CITR, of course, is 101.9 on your uh, digital dial on your radio. And, of course, if you're on your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we're going to hear a couple of vocals. One of my very favorite people in this world, and he was a very close friend of mine, the late and wonderful Woody Woodhouse. Woody um, was originally from Detroit, but he was a mainstay of the Seattle jazz scene for so many years. And uh, a great character, and um, I really valued his, uh, his, his friendship. Woody and I were, were very close. And um, 
it was very sad that he was uh, he passed away a few years ago. I I still miss him, but he's also, I think, one of the greatest vocalists uh, in jazz music. Um, not as famous as he should have been. So we're going to hear a couple of tunes by Woody, and backed up by. Um, a great uh, Seattle rhythm section, including Bob Nixon on piano, Phil Sparks on bass, and Patty Padden on drums, one of the great lady drummers. Yes, Patty. And um, I think on guitar and one of the tunes, on the first tune, uh, also Daryl Darden, a fine, uh, fine guitarist. We're go- uh, yeah, on both tunes, uh, Daryl's on both of these tunes that we're going to uh, present to you. The first one is kind of dedicated to the composer of the tune, the late, great Leon Russell. And this is his most famous tune, and Woody does it so well. And the tune, of course, is This Masquerade. The second tune is a favorite of mine, written by Oscar Brown Jr. Yeah, I was born under the year of the snake, according to uh, Chinese astrology, and that's what we're going to hear. The tune is called The Snake. And so here is my old friend, Woody Woodhouse. Are we really happy here in the lonely games we play? Searching for words to say Searching but not finding understanding anyway We're lost in this masquerade Both afraid to say that we were much too far apart From being close together from the start Tried to talk it over, but the words got in the way. We're lost inside the lonely games we play. Thoughts of leaving disappear when I see your eyes. No matter how hard I try to understand the reason why we carry on this way. We're lost in the Searching for the right words 
to say Searching but not finding Understanding anyway We are lost in a masquerade I said we're both afraid to say That we were just a little too far away From being close together From the very start We tried to talk it over disappear the moment that I see your eyes no matter how hard I try to understand the reason why we tend to carry on this way and we are lost in the masquerade lost in the masquerade oh what a game we played lost in the masquerade It was on the way to work one morning On the path alongside the lake Where a tender-hearted woman Found a poor half-frozen snake His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew Poor thing, she cried, I'll take you in and I'll take care of you Take me in, tender woman, take me in for him's sake Take me in, tender woman, sighed the snake She wrapped him up all cozy in a coat of finest silk and then she laid him by the fireside with some honey and some milk. She hurried home from work that night, and soon as she arrived, she found that pretty snake she'd taken in had been revived. Take me in, tender woman, take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman, sighed the Clutched him to her bosom You're so beautiful, she cried She said, but if I hadn't brought you in By now you might have died She stroked his pretty skin again And then she kissed and held him tight Instead of saying thanks The snake gave her a vicious bite Take me in, tender woman Take me in for heaven's sake Take me in, tender woman, sighed the snake. I saved you, cried the woman, and you've bitten me, but why? You know your bite is poisonous, and now I'm sure to die. Ah, oh, now shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. Take me in, tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman. 
inside the snake. Take me in, tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman. Side the snakes. Woody Woodhouse. Yeah, I sure miss Woody. He's a great singer. And we heard two tunes from a locally produced album. Um, Woody, of course, was a resident of uh, Seattle. Woody singing along with Bob Nixon on piano, uh, Phil Sparks on bass, Patty Padden on drums, and Daryl Darden on guitar. We heard two tunes. We heard Leon Russell's famous composition uh, called This Masquerade. And the second tune, of course, was written by Oscar Brown Jr. and given a top treatment by Woody called The Snake. All right. I'd like to mention um, a couple of websites, as I usually do. Usually I do it a little bit earlier, but uh, hopefully there's some ears out there uh, to uh, check out these websites, get on your computer. Great jazz websites. One of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. Those are the people that bring you the big jazz festival, but they also are the backers of one of Vancouver's finest jazz clubs, Frankie's, which is located on Beattie Street right across from BC Place. And Frankie's um, is curated by none other than Corey Weeds. Of course, Corey uh, ran the cellar for many years and owned the cellar. And, of course, he knows uh, what he's doing, and he brings in uh, so many great musicians, uh, puts them together to play at, uh, at Frankie's. It's a very comfortable, very, very great club. Now, if you get onto the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, not only are there other areas where you can go and check out, but you can also, if you uh, choose to uh, go to Frankie's, uh, you can make uh, advanced reservations and uh, all of that kind of stuff and even pay your admission um, your cover charge, if there is a cover charge, um, in advance and just show up and uh, have a good time and listen to the great music that's, that's presented there. You can do all that on that particular website. It's uh, very user-friendly, and that's the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And, of course, they, pre, um, they have various concerts uh, as well and presentations and all kinds of links on, on the website. Keep, they, they keep it very much up-to-date, coastaljazz.ca. And, of course, another fine website to get onto is vancouverjazz.com, and that's put together, curated by my good friend Brian Nation, and uh, he keeps that website up-to-date, and there's lots of uh, info and uh, biographies and all kinds of things on that particular website, vancouverjazz.com. So coastaljazz.ca, vancouverjazz.com. You can't go wrong with either of those two websites. They're kept up to date. And just one more thing, I, my good friend Ken Speller, who is a wonderful saxophone player, musician, um, he's also a great teacher. And uh, he has a business called Music at Home, and he'll come to your house and give you lessons. And uh, if you and advice on how to uh, either rent or buy a quality musical instrument, or how to keep the instrument that you own in good shape, um, he's also a repair person, and uh, to be politically correct, 
<laughs> and uh, Ken um, doesn't charge you an arm and a leg for uh, doing overhauls and uh, some of the work that uh, needs to be done on, on sensitive reed instruments like the clarinet, the saxophone, and the flute. They always require some sort of maintenance because there's so many moving parts on those instruments and to, to be kept in top shape so that you can sound in top shape. So Ken um, does those repairs as well as uh, teaches the music as well, but he does the repairs inexpensively because his workshop is right in his home, so he doesn't have the overhead of a store to uh, uh, charge you more money for. So he keeps his prices to a bare minimum. Good guy to know, Ken Speller, and he can be reached at 778-800-1933. 778-800-1933. That's 778-800-1933. Or you can uh, reach him via email, kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. All right. We're going to uh, take you to the Niedersachsen Hall in Hanover, Germany, February 28, 1958. A few years ago, right? On tour was the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Dave Brubeck on piano, Paul Desmond, alto saxophone, Eugene Wright on bass, and Joe Morello on drums. And here's the opening tune of their set for the evening. And this is a standard tune, a favorite of um, Dave and Paul's. It's a tune called Out of Nowhere. Dave Brubeck. The next number is Out of Nowhere. Thank you. 
That was some music by a quartet put together by Hampton Hawes, the great uh, West Coast pianist. Hampton Hawes, along with Barney Kessel on guitar, Red Mitchell on bass, and Shelley Mann on drums. And that's from a contemporary album called Four. And it shows uh, all these guys out in the golf course uh, playing, of course, in four, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, a wonderful album and uh, really, really nice music. And Hampton Hawes, of course, one of the great, I think, underrated um, greats on the piano. He's, he was self-taught, and uh, he was the son of a very, very well-known clergyman in uh, Los Angeles. And, of course, uh, started to play piano on his own and uh, continued and played with all the greats and died in 1977 of a brain aneurysm prematurely and uh, we lost uh, an incredible musician Hampton Hawes anyway that's a very fine session that he did back a number of years ago we're going to uh, well identify who we are and of course you are listening to the Jazz Show on CITR, FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, we'll be right back with some music by Oliver Nelson and Eric Dolphy in about uh, a few moments, right after this. <coughs> Twas the day after Hallow's Eve and all throughout the land, the young punks rejoiced for the holidays had began. It's time for Mint Records' Ridiculously Early Christmas Party. On Saturday, November 26th, the Astoria will be filled with smiling faces with sparkles on their eyes, ready to hear the jolly Supermoon, Jay Arner, Fake Tears, Aaron Reed, and Woolworm. Plus, Chris Arific will be there to lead a chorus of angels in singing our favorite seasonal jingles. Oh, Mint oh, will also oh. be releasing their special edition cassette, Quarter Life Crisis. And perhaps a certain Santa will be there to sweeten the night with goodies for the earliest Mint Tykes. Get your tickets in advance from Red Cat Records, Neptune Records, and Zulu Records. Wow, I love that story. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenum-speaking Musqueam people. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Here's some music by Oliver Nelson, a great saxophonist. This is an album I've always liked. It's called Screamin' the Blues, and um, came out on Prestige New Jazz Records way back when. And uh, it features Eric Dolphy on um, alto saxophone and Oliver Nelson on both tenor and alto saxophones. Oh, as a matter of fact, no, just on these tracks, he's playing uh, the larger tenor saxophone. And on trumpet, Richard Williams, the great notes. And uh, the rhythm section, 
comprises of um, the wonderful San Francisco pianist, born pianist, uh, Richard Wyans, uh, George DeVivier on bass, and Mr. Snap Crackle on drums, who is still very much with us, Roy Haynes. We're going to hear two tunes from this uh, album, Scream in the Blues. The first one is kind of a churchy, gospel-y thing called The Meetin', and the second one is rather mysterious, minor key blues called Three Seconds. Here then, the music of and compositions of Oliver Nelson.
two tracks from this uh, wonderful album called Screamin' the Blues. Oliver Nelson, and uh, we heard Oliver, of course, the leader and the composer of those two tunes on tenor saxophone. Eric Dolphy, the legendary Eric Dolphy on alto saxophone. Richard Williams on trumpet. And Richard Wyans on piano. George DeVivier on bass. And Roy Haynes on drums. And the first tune was the kind of gospel-flavored thing called The Meetin'. And the second tune was entitled Minor Key Blues called Three Seconds. And uh, very interesting and uh, always uh, identifiable Oliver Nelson compositions. We're going to turn things over to the three trumpet players at this point, and they're going to play a piece of music written by someone who just recently passed away, a wonderful piano player, and is not a household name, but he certainly was respected among all of his peers. His name was Hod O'Brien, and uh, Hod just uh, uh, passed away um, a few days ago, and uh, we're going to listen to um, a composition that he wrote for this album, and the album is called Three Trumpets, and it features three of the leading uh, trumpet players of the uh, 50s and 60s, Donald Byrd, Art Farmer, and Idris Suleiman. And, and uh, people know Donald Byrd and people know Art Farmer. Idris is a little more obscure because he, went, uh, he left the country in uh, the late 50s and um, went to live in Sweden for many years. Uh, he was an incredible musician and um, could play not only uh, trumpet, but a, a variety of other instruments, including the saxophone, all this sort of stuff, but uh, a great trumpet player as well, Idris Suleiman. Hod O'Brien, the composer of this piece on piano, Art Farmer's twin brother, Addison Farmer on bass, and Ed Thickpen on drums. And this is a Hod O'Brien composition called Diffusion of Beauty.
That's from an album called Th- Simply Three Trumpets. And uh, we heard this composition written by a pianist, the late pianist Hod O'Brien, who was uh, involved in this record session. And it featured these three great uh, jazz trumpeters. And um, in the order of solo, after the piano solo, we heard Idris Suleiman first. And the second soloist was Donald Byrd. And the third soloist was Art Farmer, in case you were keeping track. And that piece of music uh, was called A Diffusion of Beauty, and it was written by pianist Hog O'Brien. Addison Farmer played the bass, and Ed Thigpen played the drums, and uh, all those three great trumpet players. We are going to uh, play you a tune now. Uh... Hopefully I've programmed it correctly. Yes, I think I have. This is from a, an album by pianist Hampton Hawes. Uh, once again, but this is a kind of a different kind of an album. And uh, it features Hampton, of course, on piano. Um, the horn, the sole horn on here is the great late Harold Land, one of the most distinctive voices of the uh, tenor saxophone. On bass the incredible Scott LaFaro, and on drums, Frank Butler. And this is from an album called For Real. And this is a, a great, uh, great little tune that I've always liked. It's called Hip, written by Harold Land. Thank you. 
We hear two numbers from this uh, wonderful album by Hampton Hawes on piano and Harold Land on tenor saxophone with uh, Scott LaFaro on bass and uh, the incredible Frank Butler on drums. And that's uh, from a contemporary album recorded in Los Angeles uh, way back when uh, called For Real. And the first tune was, uh, both of them were uh, Harold Land compositions, by the way. Uh, The first tune was called Hip, and the second tune was called Numbers Game. And, uh, yeah, two great uh, musicians, Harold Land and Hampton Hawes, in great company. Ending another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. Next week, our jazz feature, a little bit different, a very obscure and wonderful tenor saxophonist by the name of Fred Jackson. And Fred Jackson plays a lot of blues. Um, Fred worked with, um, basically came from an R&B background and uh, was a long Uh, standing tenor saxophonist with uh, uh, the great Lloyd Price, and he toured with uh, various other R&B bands. But Fred was a formidable saxophone player. He kind of disappeared. I have no idea whatever happened to Fred Jackson because he was a a monster. But he did record um, a couple of things for uh, Blue Note, including this album that we're going to hear on our jazz feature next week. It's called Hootin' and Tootin' with Fred Jackson, and it features a great band um, with the Hammond organ, guitar, and drums, and of course Fred just wailing away on tenor saxophone. And if you're not hip to Fred Jackson, you will be if you tune in next week on The Jazz Show. So we hope to see you in seven days' time. So take care of yourselves, and... um, I would say stay out of the rain, but if you stay out of the rain, then it means you're stuck indoors. <laughs> there you go. All right, take care. Bye-bye. We'll see you in seven days. Bye-bye. Do-ba-dee-oo